0: Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Okay.
1: with us and as I mentioned you maybe weren't here this morning or you weren't at the banquet Brother Rice had been evangelist for 41 years and uh, his wife Mary is here and they've been married for 41 years raised three children and uh, God had uh, Brother Rice the director of the Bill Rice Ranch for 25 years and uh, that's, that's a lot of faithfulness, amen? And I appreciate that I could have him here at our church. Brother Rice if you'd come and preach to us tonight and uh, we'd appreciate a good message. Thank you, brother. First John chapter five. Thank you, sir. First John chapter five. First John chapter five. Appreciate your kindness to us today. I enjoyed the service tonight. I enjoyed the special. That was beautifully done. Appreciate that very much. First John five. Look this way. I'll know you have it, and then I'll say a couple words, and then we'll start. Great. Let me encourage you to come to the ranch. You should have gotten a folder this morning. If you didn't, there are folders will be on the table in the back, and you can get information about speakers, prices, dates, and so on for the summer. We do have two family weeks in the summer. Uh, The ranch can accommodate about 800 campers at a time. Uh, Typically, we have from 400 to 600 hearing teenagers in a given week, from 120 to uh, 200 junior age, Campers during the same week, and anywhere from five to 50 deaf young people. And they're in three separate programs. They have separate dining rooms, separate auditoriums, separate uh, sleeping quarters. And so, uh, if you're a teenager and you're at camp and you've got a brother and he's junior age, he's nine and he's at camp, you won't see him all week because they're in a completely separate program. And what could be better if you're a teenager than not seeing your brother for a week? If he's a junior so uh, they all go on simultaneously at the ranch. Ranch has 1300 acres we had 99 staff um, with us in the summer at the ranch 99 summer staff then there's another 30 uh, some odd on full-time staff Uh, but I hope you'll come see us I'm I'm biased and that's obviously true but there's not a place uh, on this planet quite like the Bill Rice Ranch and I mean that it really is the lord's used it wonderfully for 54 years and we pray that he'll continue to use it on the table in the back there's some stuff from the ranch there's several cds there's the book do you mind if your kids don't Uh, i mentioned this morning the christmas cd and uh, i mentioned god of all comfort Uh, this is probably the best thing the ranch has ever produced i'll just mention it to you this is Carry On the Cause. The title song, Carry On the Cause, was written by Will and Sina. This is Sina Rice singing. She has a beautiful voice. I just love to hear Sina sing. I'd rather hear her sing than just about anybody. This is well done. Carry On the Cause. The idea of the title song is that those of us who have had truth passed down to us should carry that on to succeeding generations. And that's true, isn't it? So that's, that's back there. God of all comfort is Ren C D and I've mentioned twice uh sing we now have Christmas. And did I did I mention my book? Do you mind if your kids have I mentioned that today? Oh, okay. Well, I wouldn't have to mention that again. It's $12. If you get the book and any CD, you can get that for $25. I'll tell you what I'll do tonight. If you get one CD there 15, you can get two for 25, you can get three for 30. How's that? If you got two this morning, tough no (laughs) you can get your five dollars back just go tell Mary and I I hope you'll take everything if you don't take it I have to take it back with me uh, to the ranch and then I've got to carry it out to the car or enlist someone else to do that so I'd I'd rather you take care of it pray for us tomorrow we have our Christmas banquet tomorrow night I don't speak at that but I'm supposed to be back for that uh, tomorrow night and I I think we'll have no trouble, but you know, you might pray for us as you think to, uh, while we're traveling tomorrow. And then, uh, I don't have anything else until January. I think it's the second, the first Sunday. Is that the second? Does anybody know? Nobody knows fine. I'll just say it's January the second then since you don't know. And then Mary and I are in Florida for two months, January and February, and then in South Carolina, uh, the first week of March. Isn't that brilliant? Florida. January and February. No dummy, this evangelist. Right, I, I, I came to Michigan twice. In December, this is it. This is twice, my first and last trip. <laughs> I'm just kidding, I've been to Michigan. Mary and I love Michigan. We're here almost every September. Uh, I think we're gonna be here, I believe that's right, next September, um, and we love, uh, my favorite time in Michigan's in October. Isn't that great? Have you ever been to the UP in October? Isn't that super? We just love it. We love it up there um, at the Mackinac. <laughs> I'm from Tennessee. The Mackinac Bridge. We love it up there, and I love your state. And I mean that. This is my favorite Midwestern state. So I don't know what that means, but I, we just enjoy it in Michigan, and uh, it's been good. And I've enjoyed being here. I enjoyed the banquet last night. The meal was great. The fellowship was great. I'll put this down here so I won't forget it. Fellowship was great. Um, I enjoyed the services this morning, and I'm surprised again at the attendance tonight. Um, I thought it might be lesser than what we have, but uh, you folks have done a good job of getting out to the services, and I appreciate that. You got 1 John 5? Let's stand, shall we? We're going to read verses 11, 12, and 13 again uh, tonight. Some of you weren't listening this morning, so I'm going to preach the same message over again. Uh, I'm just kidding. We're going to look at. 1 John 5, 11, 12, and 13. Would you mind reading it with me? Let me give the reference. We'll just pick up together and all of us read together. Here we go. 1 John chapter 5, verses 11, 12, and 13. This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Father, help us to see that tonight. That assurance of salvation comes to us because of the confidence we have in your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. may be seated. Doubts about one's salvation are all but universal among God's people. That is, if you're saved and you've had doubts about your salvation, that certainly is not unusual. Now, some people say, and they say this incorrectly, some good people say, Well, I'll tell you one thing, brother. If you're really saved, if you're truly born again, amen, you know it. Because God's Holy Spirit speaks to your spirit. And if you're truly saved, you know that you're saved. Is that true? Categorically not. Look at verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Would he be speaking to believers, (coughs) saved people, or unbelievers, lost people? Which? Saved people. Okay, these things. Have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may, next word, No. Okay, wait a minute. You mean there could be a person <coughs> who's saved, who has believed, but who doesn't know? Isn't that what the passage says? By know, we mean assurance. Somebody says, well, if you're saved, you just know because of God's Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a question. Is it possible for a child of God not to hear the Spirit of God about some things in his life? For example, direction, or God's will, or what's right, or what's wrong. Can a child of God not hear the Spirit of God in his heart and life? Yes or no? Sure. Then a child of God can be deaf to the Spirit of God about his salvation. The fact... Of the matter is, you can be saved, born again, blood-bought on your way to heaven and not have the assurance thereof. Okay, why not? Well, there are several reasons. I want us to look at three tonight. We might even look at four, but since I'm a Baptist preacher, um, in an outline you're supposed to have three points, aren't you? So we're going to look at three tonight. Three things that can keep you from the assurance of your salvation. Look, if you would, in chapter 1. And by the way, I know you know this, but just, uh, just, just to set this in our hearts and minds, I want you to note to whom 1 John is written. Look down, if you would, in chapter 1, in verse 7. But if we walk in the light, <coughs> as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. To whom is the book written? Christians. That's obvious. Now listen to this. First John is not written to people who claim to be saved but who are not. It's not written as a book which gives us evidence as to whether or not one is saved. It is written to God's people. Now it is fair that you can infer from 1 John that if I am saved, these things should be in my life. But I'm telling you, you really are speaking dangerously when you go through 1 John and say, here are proofs of your salvation. For example, you should love the brethren. You should have prayers answered. You should love uh, the book. You, you, You should walk in righteousness. Those things are all true. But 1 John, I remind you, is written to Christian people. All right, then how can a person be saved but not have the assurance thereof? Three things. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. And hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. And let me just go back to this real quick. The we would be a reference to whom? Save people. God's people. Okay. And hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep we keep his commandments. There are two no's, K and O W. There are two no's in 1 John 2, 3. Hereby we do know something. What do we know? We know that we know him. Okay, the second no, know, knowing him, is a reference to our salvation and fellowship with the Savior. That's knowing him. If the second no, know, knowing him, is a reference <clears throat> to salvation, what's the first no? If I know that I know him what would you call that assurance who said that wave at me would you excellent great okay assurance sure look look knowing him is salvation but knowing that I know him is assurance you follow me okay hereby we do know what do we know that we know him if we keep his commandments okay what leaves if you don't keep his commandments assurance not salvation. You're saved. That's not the point. But your certainty of your salvation can take flight if you don't keep his commandments. Sin in the life of a believer will always undermine assurance. Now somebody says, well, if you're really saved, you won't be dominated by sin. Well, I'm sorry, but 1st John... I'm not sorry. Uh, that's just a way of saying this. First John, the first chapter says, if we say we do no sin, we deceive ourselves. And His truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Look, if in your life there is unconfessed sin, then in your life you may have many doubts about salvation. Now, if you doubt your salvation tonight, I'm not saying that's because you have sin in your life. I'm saying that unconfessed undealt with, will you permit the English, undealt with sin in your life leaves you open to battles over assurance of salvation. Number one, assurance is undermined when we tolerate unconfessed sin in our lives. Number two, look back at the second chapter, would you please? Let me see if I can find it, I keep closing my Bible here. Uh, 1 John chapter 2, look down at verse 9. He that saith, he's in the light. Now let me stop here. In the light is a reference of walking in the light, 1 John, with the Lord Jesus. See, look, look back quickly, because this is important. In verse uh, 7 of chapter 1. But if we walk in the light, if who walks in the light? Help, okay, save people. It's not, this is not whether or not you're saved. This is whether or not you have fellowship and assurance. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, We have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, continues to cleanse us from all sin. Now look at at chapter 2, verse 9. He that saith, he's in the light. That is that you're in fellowship with the Savior. And hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. You lose your fellowship when you don't love your brother. So number one, if there's sin in your life, you lose assurance. Number two, if you don't have victory as God's child it will undermine your assurance. If you're not walking in the light as He is in the light, if you're not having fellowship with the Father, if you don't have victory in your life as God's child, then one of the first things to come along is doubt. Look down at um, verse uh, 15, same chapter, chapter 2. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now let me ask you a question. Can A child of God love the world. Yes or no? Sure, you do. See, don't don't sit there and say, oh, no. (laughs) If you're truly born again, you won't love the world. That's a battle that all of us have. But if you love the world, you're not going to have victory in your life, and thereby, you'll open the door for doubt. Let me show you my favorite one. Look at this one in chapter 3. Chapter 3, look at verse 22. Now note what this verse says. And don't be pious about it. Look and see what God says. Verse 22. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him, because we know His commandments, or we keep His commandments, and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. You know what this is talking about? Answered prayer. Now, I didn't write this. God did. And here's what God says. Here's one thing we know, brother, that anything we ask of Him, we receive it because we keep His commandments. See, He's talking about living victoriously. Look, if you have a need in your life and you ask God for it and you receive it, won't that encourage you in the assurance of your salvation? But if as a child of God, you have a need in your life or you think you do and you ask God for it and you don't get it, you know, I... I always thought i i always believed i you know i but i just don't know if if i were really god's child wouldn't i wouldn't i wouldn't he wouldn't wouldn't this you follow me see doubts you're opened to them if you don't have victory in your christian life number three um Playing mind games will undermine assurance of salvation. This bothered me for years because in revival work, somebody would come to me and say, Brother Rice, you know, I I thought I was saved when I was younger, and I believe I was, but I just don't know because I received Christ, but I don't know if I I, I trusted in him. Or I trusted Christ, but I don't know if I believed in him. Or I believed in Christ, but I don't know if I repented. Or I repented, but I don't know if I did it for the right reason. I've heard people (laughs) preach this. I've heard people preach this. Some of you people, brother, you just got saved to miss hell. And I think when I hear that, duh. What's wrong with that? We hear that. So that people will say, well, you know, maybe I trusted Christ for the wrong reason. Maybe it was too easy. Maybe I didn't mean it. And you know, that bothered me for a long time and until I... I I I saw that in the scripture truth is just given can can I say it this way matter of factly and you accept it or you don't it's not look Bible believing fundamentalists are not existentialists you say what does that mean I don't know but it sounded impressive didn't it (laughs) no really existentialism is the philosophy of our day and basically this is a little bit shallow, but basically, it's, uh, if it feels good, do it. You know, it. Whatever is right to you is right. So an existentialist wants to know how you feel about something rather than what you know. So that here's a person that's 22, and somebody says, tell me, why, why did you want to be saved when you were seven? What? What feelings rushed over you when you supposedly trusted Christ at eight years of age? And you go, um, 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 you following this? Okay, the Bible just kind of takes it at face value. Suppose I wanted to sell my car. And suppose it was worth um, $1,000 and I wanted 1100 for it. And suppose I came to the pastor and I said, you can have my car for, for 1100 bucks. And suppose he said, Hey, I want it. I'll buy it for 1100 bucks. Suppose he wrote me a check for $1,100 and I take the check. Now, do you think I would say this? Now, pastor, I need to know you, you claim to want my car. You claim to give me this check for 1100 bucks. Do you really, do you really mean this? Is it really, are you sincere about it? Are you, are you really sincere? No, no. If the car's worth a thousand bucks and he writes a check for 11, I'm halfway to Tennessee before he knows (laughs) I have the check. You following this? Now, we often say you can ask the Lord Jesus to be your savior if you mean it. And I understand why we say that. We want people to be sincere. But, you know, we don't use that with anything else. I was at a wedding um, Friday night and the uh, the. The officiant, the officiator at the wedding, the, the, the uh, pastor, uh, said to the groom, uh, do you take uh, Nikki, uh to be your wife? And he said, I do. And the pastor didn't say, now do you mean it? Well, what if he didn't? When he said, I do, <laughs> it, was, it was all over but the shouting. I'm serious. Now, you say, well, Brother Reich, are you saying that people can insincerely be saved? No, they can't. But I'm saying that sometimes we work on people's minds about sincerity when it is almost impossible uh, to, uh, uh, to, to put it on a graph. You understand what I'm saying? See, what, What's it mean to mean it? Is, is there a scale of meaning it? Is there a scale Suppose there's a scale of meaning it. Two, you don't really mean it. Four, no, I'm sorry. Uh, six, meh, pretty good. Eight, wow, you mean it on the scale of eight. Wow, that's super. Nine, ooh, unbelievable. Nine point four, I've never met a nine point four in my life. Ten, perfectly, you meant it perfectly. So you say to me, Bill, are you saved? Yes. When were you saved? When I was four. Did you mean it? Seven point two. <laughs> now you know why you're giggling it doesn't make any sense and that's the point I'm trying to make see somebody says well I'm not sure if I said the right thing you know I was asked this question last night by a gentleman at the banquet it's uh, about the thief on the cross I love this uh, uh, people say do you say the right thing well let me ask you what's the right thing to say um, now I think what you say is important but it's not as important as what you do and I'm not trying to be cute here. I'm serious about this. The deal is uh, salvation is a matter of my recognizing I can't save me and my saying basically, dear God, do for me what I can't do for myself. Have you ever asked a person to whom you are witnessing to pray this sinner's prayer? Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Have you ever used that sinner's prayer? Well, come on, have you? no why not because it wouldn't work oh it wouldn't (laughs) it wouldn't did it work okay now look stop and think of why it did let's just go through the story quickly all right here are two thieves on on one of three crosses two of three crosses the Lord Jesus uh, one malefactor and one another malefactor and the other the one malefactor began to rail upon Jesus if you be the son of God come down and save yourself and us The other malefactor says to the first malefactor, don't say that, we're here because we deserve to be. Number one, he recognized he was a sinner. Number two, he's not. Number two, he recognized Christ was not a sinner. And then he turned to the Lord Jesus and said, Lord, when you set up your kingdom, which is what Christ had said he would do, when you set up your kingdom, don't forget about me, wait a minute, Christ was dying. He was dying, but this man believed he would still set up his kingdom, which means he believed he was God. I'm I'm not being uh, overly clever about this. It's obvious, is it not? In other words, he claims to be the son of God. He claims he's going to set up a kingdom. He claims he's going to be the king of the kingdom, and I believe it. I'm dying. He's dying. That's no problem. He can do for me what I can't do for myself. So he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom, and the Lord said, now, forgive me, I don't mean to be irreverent. I'll do you one better than that. You would be with me today in paradise. Now, why? Because the man on the cross was trusting Christ to do for him what he could not do for himself, even though he wasn't theological enough to know how to say it. Here's the way we want people to be saved. O oh God, thou who didst create the universe and speak into existence the world upon which I, a holy, lowly, humble, wretched, despising sinner against the righteousness of Thee, O God, have lived. Thou who didst send Thy Son to die in my place as an atonement for my sin, pictured in the Old Testament by the sacrifices of the nation of Israel. O God, Thou who art perfect, Come today and forgive me my sin and take me to glory where I may, on this earth before I am taken, glorify you in my life by going to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and by being baptized and becoming a tither. And may I be an outstanding citizen in this country for you, dear God. That's what we want people to say. It's not how people are saved. People are saved when they trust Christ. To do for them what they can't do for themselves. Anybody here ever lifeguard? Anybody here ever lifeguard? Okay. My goodness, it's just two or three of us. You ever take lifeguarding? It's fascinating taking lifeguarding. When you take lifeguarding, there are a lot of things you learn that are really fascinating. One of them is you jump into the pool or the water without your head going under. This is really fascinating. You put your legs like this, and when you jump in, you bring your legs together, and you have your hands, you bring your hands this way. So your legs come together, your hands come and, and you won't go under. You make a big splash, but your head doesn't go under. And the reason you don't want your head to go under is so that you can have the victim in view the entire time. Uh, then when you get to the victim, you have what's called a cross-chest carry you know, over the shoulder, down across the chest. And you actually carry them on your hip, and you have an inverted scissors kick. Because if you kick normally, you beat the poor guy up. So you have an inverted scissors kick, and you take him out of the pool. Now, a guy drowning knows none of this. So the guy drowning doesn't say, please, oh, great lifeguard, come into the pool without your head going under. Swim out to me. Grab my arm. Turn me around. A cross-chest carry. On your hip. Inverted scissors kick. Back to the side of the pool. He doesn't say that. Does he? Does he? Okay. What does he say? Does he? Does he? Does he? Is a guy who's drowning say, "Choose me, excuse me, Mr. Lifeguard, <coughs> help." Is that what he says? Well, he might, but he might, he might just go. Ah! Okay, if if the guy drowning just goes, ah, here's what he's doing. He is conveying to the lifeguard, "I can't do it," but I know you can. So do it for him. You following this? Okay, the lifeguard. By the same token, when the guy in the pool goes, he doesn't go, no, no, say it right, say it right. I'm not coming unless you say does he? Let me tell you something. When a lifeguard recognizes that someone in the pool is going to stop struggling, trying to do something he cannot do, and rely upon you, the lifeguard, to take care of it, it is all over, brother. I don't care if the victim's unconscious. In fact, it may help if he is. Because when you go to the victim, he may want to climb on your shoulders so that he can breathe. Now, that's great for the victim, but it's not real good for lifeguards. So the idea is you are doing, are you following this, people? You're doing for the lifeguard what he can't do for himself. Somebody says, okay, Brother Ice, I know, but I, I can't remember what I said. Um, when I when I was saved I came forward to the old-fashioned altar I was weeping and somebody came and they read me some verses I don't remember what they were and they said some things I don't remember what they said and I I prayed a prayer I don't remember what I said but but they told me I was saved well let me ask you how, how many men in this room tonight are married can I see your hand let me count real high real high eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seven, eighteen, nineteen. Nineteen of us. okay Wives, do not help. Do not help, okay? Men who are married. How many of you men remember when you were married, if you said, I do, as in do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife, I do, or did you say, I will, as in will you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife, and you said, I will, or did you say, I do, and I will, as in do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife, uh, wife, I do. Will you promise to cherish love, take care of her, and spend money for the rest of your life? I will. Okay. Did you? Now, now, I'm serious. Nineteen of us. How many men here? Remember, if you said do, if you said will, or if you said both, would you raise your hand, please? Okay. One, two, three, four. Mm, four and a half. <laughs> she says, no, he doesn't. But let, let's, take, let's make it five. Five out of 19. There are 14 men in this church tonight who claim to be married, who probably are not. Excuse me, you want my handkerchief, brother? I'm sorry about that. Yeah. Okay, Okay, why are you giggling? There's two reasons. Number one, the silliness of the speaker. Number two, because the entire concept is ludicrous. But we'll say to somebody who was saved in 1975 what did you say or, or have you ever heard this one I'll never forget the day I would say praise God I'll never forget it I came forward to the old-fashioned altar I wept my way to Jesus it was September the 12th 1991 I'll never forget that day when were you saved brother I was, um, I was nine. I know, brother, but when was the day, that wonderful day in your life when you were saved? The most important day of your life, when was it? Well, I, I, I don't know. What? You don't know when you were saved, brother. You don't know September the 12th, 1990, whatever it was. Now I've forgotten. Okay, you don't remember that day. Let me ask you something, brother. Don't you remember the day that you were born the first time? Well, if you're not careful, you say yes, but you don't. Suppose um, I said to you, I was born December 15th, 1942. Well, it's a long time ago. Okay. I was born December 15th, 1942. And you say, "Brother Bill, how do you know it's December 14th, 19 December 15th, 1942?" And I say, "Because, brother, I was there when it happened, amen. And I'll never forget that day." Is that? How do I I, I do know when I was born? How do I know? Yeah, specifically which parent? My mommy told me so if you say brother Bill now how old are you Bill? 65 and when were you born December 15 1942 and how do you know that you were born December 15 1942 well I know it because my mommy told me it works with your first birth it'll never work with your second one with most people I I I was saved when I was nine It was in August at camp and how do you know, son, now you're 58, that you were saved when you were nine? Well, my mother tells me that was in August. You can't know you're saved, brother, because your mother says you were saved. You can only know that you're saved because you know that 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 you know are you getting this? That you know. That you're saved. Yeah, but well, we're not talking about what you know. We're talking about whether or not you know a date. Yeah. Right. Right. And I'm telling you, and I, I'm, I'm sorry, because I really do have a short fuse about this. That's crooked. It's crooked. What you're doing is testing people's memory rather than whether or not they've ever trusted Christ. And when you test their memory, you can have them trust Christ tonight and write down the date. And in two years, they'll wonder if they meant it. Or they'll wonder if um, they really changed. Or if they were truly sincere. See, because you're talking about two separate things. See, salvation is a matter of just taking God at His word and believing it what the Bible says. And I really can't help people that play mind games. I really can't. And if you play mind games about one thing tonight and get that settled, you'll play mind games about something else tomorrow. In other words, if you can't remember the date tonight, tomorrow you won't know if you were sincere. Um, you ladies, let me ask you a question. When you got married, were you sincere about your marriage vows? Oh, yes, Brother Bill, I was sincere. Oh, you were. Is that right? At that time, were you looking forward to diapers and kids and meals and putting up with your husband? Well, you didn't know about any of that, did you? It's not the point, is it? You took him. And when you, yeah. and when you did, it's, it's finished. You understand that? See, it's all taken care of. Um, It really is unfair and improper to ask someone when he's 38 if he understood the virgin birth when he was seven. You can be 38. You don't understand the Trinity. You don't understand how God knew what you would do throughout your entire life, but obviously gives to you The right to choose it. You can try to explain that sometime. You're just asking for trouble. See, what I'm saying is you just you just take the Bible at face value. Did you trust Christ? I did. Did you understand everything then that you do now? It's like being born. You understand a lot more about birth in your 40s than you do when you experienced it. Experiencing birth doesn't make you an expert on it. And experiencing the new birth doesn't make you an expert on it. Right. Now, I think you all learned about what happened. And I think that's wonderful. But you don't know you're saved because you understand things. You know you're saved because you trusted Christ. Right. See? Uh, so the Bible says, uh, He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Okay. if If I can have doubts, and there are other things, but if I can have doubts because... There's sin in my life and I know how to take care of that. I just, I ask God's forgiveness and trust in his cleansing. If, if I can have doubts because of the lack of victory in my life, I can take care of that. I can say, dear Lord, help me to pray in such a way that I'll ask for those things that you want me to ask for. Help me to love the brethren. See, I can see success in my life that will help me with confidence. If, if my assurance of salvation if it's simply if it's simply a matter of um, going through mind games that i've been frankly silly about i I can take care of that i can take the bible at face value and my response to it at face value all right so then how can i know that i'm saved well you can't know that you're saved because of feelings you know that don't you? you 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 can't know that you're saved mary and i we're married on December 29th in 1966. So it'll be, it'll be 41 years um, this December 29th. And people used to ask me a question right after we were married that I honestly, I just thought it was the dumbest question I'd ever been asked in my entire life. Here's what they would say to me. They'd say, Bill, do you feel married? Or they'd say, Bill, how does it feel to be married? <clears throat> I always wanted to say something really stupid. Like, Bill, how does it feel to be married? I always want to say, well, like mashed potatoes. You say, well, that's a stupid answer. Yes, it was, it's a stupid question. Um, Could a a person be married and not feel like it? You know, when you're first married, you don't because you've been around your spouse a lot. I know the circumstances are different. I know they're greatly different, but you know, how's, how's that supposed to feel? what if what if different people feel differently about the same things that ever happened? how many of you people today let me just ask you (laughs) how many of you people today now I'm serious about this went yes yes when you heard the news that Miami won for the first time in 15 games they won you people aren't even excited tonight (laughs) now I'm doubting your salvation okay I'm serious did anybody here go something like this yes Miami won. did anybody here do that today anybody (laughs) I'm the only one is that what we're saying okay suppose how many of you claim to love football let me see your hand come on come on okay you guys all love football you say you love football but you didn't go yes today when Miami won. you don't love football you're not a fan, brother. When I heard today, a real fan, brother, when I heard today that Brett Favre had thrown for more yardage than Dan Marino, I was truly saddened. Not really. I'm just making this up to get your goat. And when I heard today that the Dolphins won, I said yes. And every real, true, bona fide, genuine, mean business NFL. Lover was excited today when they won. Does that make sense? None to me either. <laughs> Done to me either. But you hear it all the time in church. Brother, I go to church Sunday night. I I just I just can't how can people stay home, brother? I, I don't know, I just love I heard a preacher once. You'll have to forgive me of this. This shows how wicked I am. He said, I'll tell you one thing, brother, when I got saved, you couldn't keep me out of church. Yes, sir. Amen. When I got saved, you couldn't keep me from witnessing. Amen. And when I got saved, it wasn't hard for me to read the Bible. Amen. Amen is not a question, but that's the way we use it. Amen. when I got saved, brother, I was there witnessing and I was giving my money. Some of you people, you claim to be saved, but you don't love church. You don't give your money. You don't witness. My brother, when I got saved, it was a thrill to give. It was a thrill to witness. It was a thrill to go to church even when it snowed. And I thought to myself, and I know this is flesh, but I thought to myself, isn't it sad he didn't get victory over pride? Well, isn't it? I'm telling you, but for the grace of God, every one of us would be in hell right this second. And I'm only saved because of God's grace extended to me through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. See, you don't know that you're saved. You don't know that you're saved because of all the things that you do or don't do. You know that you're saved because you take God at his word when he says, these things have I written unto you that have believed on the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Just take him at his word. Suppose you go to the doctor, and uh, you have a checkup at the doctor's office, and he says, things look good except there's um, a couple spots on your lungs. And I'm concerned, and this is the way he says it, you know, I'm, I'm concerned about it. You have a couple spots on your lungs, you leave the doctor's office, how would you feel? How would you feel? Terrible, wouldn't you? Yeah. Now, let me ask you a question. You went to the doctor's office. You felt great. You didn't feel any spots, did you? You didn't feel anything wrong. But you go to the doctor's office, and because he says there are some spots on your lungs, and you hear that, you go home and you're worried. You're not, you're not interested in eating supper. And he says, we're going to take some tests. And, of course, whenever doctors take tests, it takes about six months for the results to come back. But he says, uh, this is on Monday, and he says, the results will be back on Friday. You don't feel really well all week, do you? You notice your breathing is labored. You don't feel good. You go back to the doctor's office. You say, Doc, what did we find out? He said, nothing. You just lived in Tennessee for a time. And in Tennessee, a lot of people have spots on the lungs because of uh, the air in Tennessee and because of some of the stuff that goes on there. And you're fine. You know, you'll probably live another 100 years. When you go home, how do you feel? Now let me ask you a question. Think through this. Why did you feel bad? Because of what the doctor said. Why did you feel good? Because of what the doctor said. Okay. You don't know that you have spots because of the way you feel. You don't know that the spots are unimportant because of the way you feel. You know all of this because of the authority of the doctor and his spoken word to you. Okay. How does one know he's saved? It's not because you feel it. You know you're saved because you feel it. Well, you say, I feel saved. Well, fine. You can feel any way you want to, but you know there are people who feel saved who are not. Right. Haven't you ever met people like that? <clears throat> Tell me, sir, if you die, do you believe you go to heaven? I think so. I asked this of a man last week. And, and what makes you think you go to heaven? Because I live a good life. Okay, categorically, is he going to heaven? If that's what he's trusting in, yes or no? Nobody feels good about it. I'm telling you, uh, here, this, this dear God, uh, this this dear man. He died and he lives in Hollywood and he made movies and he he. Uh, you know, the the thing I like about this guy was he made he made what some people would call wicked films and X-rated movies and stuff. But you know, he was honest. He just he lived life as he saw it and he loved his fellow man. And I'm telling you, heaven's going to be a brighter place because he's there. Is it? Is he in heaven? Not if he's expecting to be there because he did certain good things. That's not the point. You know you're lost because of what God says, and that's the same way you know you're saved. Now let's read the verse one more time and we're finished. 13. You want to look at it? These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Assurance of salvation comes when I trust in Christ as Savior, and then I take God at His word. If, If you were to say to me tonight, Bill, are you saved? I would say Yes. And, and if you said, <clears throat> what makes you think you're saved? I would say, because, because the Lord says so. The Lord promises me that if I place my trust and faith in Christ, I'm God's child, and I'm just I'm, I'm trusting in Him. And I, I would say this reverently, but I'd say it this way. <clears throat> if Christ makes it to heaven, I will. And I, and I will also say this, I'm, I'm not going to waste any time worrying about it. You say, well, Bill... Don't you think you could give false assurance to a person who claims to be saved, but who is not? I didn't write 1 John 5.13. God did. So I just rest in what God says. Can we read it together? You ready? Let's read it together. 1 John 5.13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. That you may know that you have eternal life and you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Let's bow, please, for prayer.